Our Father and our God, as we have read this um, choice passage of Scripture, as we have been considering the uh, argument of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, we ask that You would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and of course, hearts to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as He is uh, proclaimed this morning. We ask in His name, Amen. This passage of um, in Romans, Romans three twenty-one through thirty-one, Martin Luther said that he loved this chapter in Scripture more than he loved his wife. Uh, quite a statement. Uh, others have said that this is the very heart of the Scripture because in it we hear uh, Paul's um, doctrine of justification by faith alone. So let's just jump right into the text at verse 21. And for those of you who are visiting, we are... It's our practice to work our way through books of the Bible. So we've been in uh, the book of Romans now for some, I think, five or six weeks now. Anyway, uh, the first word here in, uh, in verse 21 is, um, is a very important word. It's the word, but... He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So this word but is a simple conjunction. But as Tim Keller says, there are few words more glorious than the but that begins Romans 3.21. This uh, conjunction signals a transition in Paul's argument. In Romans 1-3, through 3, Paul has been laboring to demonstrate that none are righteous in God's sight. The atheists are not righteous. The pagans who worship false gods are not righteous. The moralists are not righteous. Not even the very religious. All alike are all under sin. We all, according to Paul, have not just fallen a tad bit short of God's glory, but rather we have acted very wickedly by exchanging ourselves, or exchanging God for ourselves as the Lord of our life. As a result, because we have kicked the Creator over to the side that we could be the Lord of our life. We have no chance of measuring up to God's standards. Therefore, we have no hope of having a relationship with God. We have no hope of getting into heaven. As Paul says, we are only able to store up wrath for ourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Remember that from Romans chapter 2? 
You will remember from Romans 1, 17 and 18 that the Gospel is all about the righteousness of God. Without God's righteousness, you cannot be saved. But then Paul says in verse 21, but now, but now, God is giving us His righteousness so that we can be saved from His righteous judgment. So what is God's righteousness? Well, it's a record of God's actions. It's a record of His thoughts, of His motives, of His words. In other words, it's a moral record. And because it's a record of God's morality, it is perfect. So for you to be saved, for me to be saved, we must be as morally perfect as God is if His salvation is all about His righteousness. And of course, none of us measure up. But now, God has given us His righteousness. God gives you exactly what you need to be saved. Isn't that cool? No other religion offers this. All other religions tell us that we must develop and improve upon our own righteousness. And then we offer it to God with the hopes that we've been good enough and that He will accept us. That's what every other religion teaches. That we have a bit of righteousness, we need to improve upon it enough to make ourselves acceptable before God. And under all other religions, I would include uh, Catholicism because it teaches ultimately that we must develop our own righteousness. But Christianity is unique. God gives us His perfect righteousness. And remember, He's not giving it to, wor- to worthy people. He is giving His righteousness to hell-deserving sinners. Our salvation is as glorious as it is unique because the holy, holy, holy God of the universe loves sinners so much that He is willing to save them. So if God is offering His righteousness, then how do we get it? And our text gives us four uh, simple lessons about how God's righteousness comes to sinful people. First of all, it comes through faith. Look at verse 22. According to verse 22, it it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So there's two things Paul's saying to us here. First of all, he's saying we can only receive righteousness through faith. It is uh, Our salvation is through faith. So he says in verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not a faith all by itself. It's a big mistake that many people make. I've heard someone just in this past week, actually a couple that I was speaking to, about um, about the Gospel um, that uh, out in the community. And they were so intent on talking about their faith in God. But when it came to Jesus, they were pretty lukewarm. Because they thought that it was just their faith in God 
They, they thought if they just believe in God, that God would return, re, would reward them with eternal life. I hear this, like I said, all the time. But faith is not the end all of our salvation. It is the object of our faith that is important. It's all important. And of course, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. So, uh, again, verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. It's not faith that saves. It's not even faith in God that saves. It is faith in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you, where is your faith rooted? What is the object of your faith? If it is in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, your faith is useless. And again, people make a mistake of rooting their faith in their religious devotion. They make a mistake of rooting their faith in their parents' faith. They make a mistake of rooting their faith in their sincerity. And we could go on and on. No. Our faith, if it is real, our faith, if it is saving and genuine, is rooted in Jesus Christ alone. Because your faith is rooted in Jesus Christ alone, it means that it cannot, by definition, be rooted in your own actions or your own efforts. Look again at verse 21, the first verse in our text. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, and then look at that next word, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God reflects the law of God because the law is a mirror of God's perfect righteousness. But we don't, we cannot and do not receive it, receive our salvation by obeying the law. God's righteousness that is given to us, as it says here in verse 21, is completely apart from the law. It amazes me that in 2016, 2,000 years since Jesus lived on the earth, that people still think that they can earn their acceptance with God by by obeying the law. It shows how committed people are to the concepts of self-righteousness. That's why Paul in Romans 1 and 2 and the the first part of Romans 3 was slugging away at our our self-righteousness and laboring to prove that none are righteous, no, not one. The best news ever announced, the best news ever announced, and people are still getting it wrong to their eternal detriment. This is the best news ever. That we don't have to earn our salvation. In fact, it's impossible for us to earn our salvation. We don't get saved by obeying the law. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Will any of you be standing on the day of judgment 
getting it wrong. Will any of you enter into eternity and not understand? And not just understand, but believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. And it is only through faith in Him. And not only believing, but committing yourself to Him. To underscore just how impossible it is to stand in God's presence by your own efforts or by your own actions, look at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Paul has been laboring, chapters 1, chapters 2, first part of chapter 3, to say that none are righteous. And yet he feels like he has to say it again. Such is the stubbornness of the human heart. Such is the commitment to our own self-righteousness. And so, he says, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. We fall not just a little bit short, we fall infinitely short of God's perfect righteousness and His glory. It is not just that you have... Um, that, that you cannot rise up enough, it is that you have fallen so far short because of your sin. All fall short because all have sinned. But God is so gracious that He gives us His righteousness as a free gift. We positively deserve wrath. We deserve His wrath. But instead, He gives us the free, the unearned, the undeserved gift of His righteousness. Wow! As I said last week, God has given given to sinners His righteousness. He's given us eternal life. He has given us a relationship with Himself. He has been mind-blowingly maybe I should say, uh, generous. So then I ask you again, what would stop you from receiving it? What would be causing you to close your hands to God's gift of righteousness? His gift of free, undeserved salvation. I can't think of a single reason why you would close your hands to the the grace of God. But people make up all kinds of bad reasons for rejecting the gift of salvation that God offers to sinners. In fact, the worst reason I've ever heard, and probably the most common reason why people reject the free gift of God's salvation is they don't like Jesus Christ. They want eternal life. They want to go to heaven. They want to stay out of hell. But they don't like Jesus Christ. He's too narrow-minded. He says salvation is only through Him. And certainly He does. Look at chapter at, at verse 24. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption only comes through Jesus Christ. It comes as a gift but it only comes through Jesus Christ. Now, 
I know we live in a very democratic nation where everybody gets to pick and choose their values and their version of the truth, and certainly people exercise that right. But Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Salvation comes through no other name. There's no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. And because Jesus says this, He claims this, people reject God's salvation because they cannot bring themselves to, re- to receive Jesus. So then the question is, why does salvation only come through Jesus? Well, it's because Jesus is the only one who is able to appease God's wrath. Look at verse 25. As it says at the end of verse 24, um, redemption is in Jesus Christ, and now he describes uh, how that redemption comes. Verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to re- be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. See, we're still talking about God's righteousness when we're talking about the gospel. God, salvation, your salvation is all about God's righteousness. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. What is this word propitiation? If you have an NIV, uh, that word propitiation is translated sacrifice of atonement. Um, but the, the, the word that really captures the, the Greek is this word propitiation. You say, well, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me because I don't know what it means. So what does the word propitiation mean? It means to turn away wrath. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. But this word propitiation says that even though God's wrath is being revealed from heaven, Jesus Christ came to turn that wrath away. To turn that wrath away from unrighteous men and women and children. How did He do it? He did it by turning God's wrath upon Himself. He came here to earth. He clothed Himself in human flesh. He came not to be served. He came to serve and give His life as a ransom for sinners. And so He, when He went to the cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon Him. That's why He said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Because there on the cross, Jesus was paying for sinners' sins. As He was stretched out on that cross, the full wrath of Almighty God was being poured out against Him. God is a just God. He must punish sin. If He decided to let sins simply go unpunished, without ever addressing them? First of all, our whole concept of justice would go out the window. Secondly, God's very nature 
would no longer be just. And He would no longer be God. It is impossible for God to overlook your sin. It is impossible for God to forgive your sin apart from the propitiation of Jesus Christ. He came here and He took the wrath of God on Himself in order that it might be steered away from us. And when He died on the cross, He paid for all of our sins, our past, present, and future sins. Or as I was reading uh, this week, someone said that it's not just that God, that Jesus in His um, in His justification uh, pardoned our sins. That's only half the story. When we come to Jesus Christ, we receive the righteousness of God. We receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He lived His life perfectly. He never sinned. And when we come to Him, we get His perfect righteousness. It's not just that we get pardoned from our sin, but God sees us and God treats us as innocent. God sees us and treats us as if we are back in the Garden of Eden and have never, ever sinned. That's a pretty heavy thought. It's hard to get your mind around it. That God will never, ever pour out His wrath upon you because of your sin. Because Jesus has already borne the full penalty. And He has given you His righteousness. God sees you as being as righteous as Jesus is. That's justification by faith. That's what Paul is teaching here in this passage. It says that he, um, he put Jesus forward as a propitiation by His blood. Jesus poured out His blood for us by taking the wrath of God in our place. What does this mean for us? Well, Paul makes an application... Um, in verse 27. He says, What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. In other words, in Jesus Christ, all of your... your or let me ask this. Why, why do people like to boast? Why is it so important that people boast. Well, uh, I believe it is because um, you boast in where you find your confidence. And if your confidence is in yourself, you boast in yourself. If your confidence is in your children, you boast in your children. If your confidence is in your job, you boast in your job. If your confidence is in your abilities, like the, the pro sports, you boast in your abilities. But when it comes to our salvation, if Jesus has done it all, if He came and paid a price that you could never have paid, if He came and died for you who are only worthy of hell forever, 
Where is there room for you to boast? There's no room. It's excluded. And so, that's one application here that Paul gives us. There's no room for boasting. He appears to be addressing the Jews because he says that uh, he speaks of the law. And the Jews like to boast in their law-keeping. And don't we like to boast in our obedience? Don't we like to boast in our spiritual gifts? Don't we like to boast in the things we've done? Don't we like to boast in our successes? But God says, all that's excluded because your life is in Jesus Christ and He is your entire life. And then He says in verse 31, a second um, application, because one of the things, if this righteousness of God comes apart from the law, if the law can't save you, if the law can't make you more holy, then what do we do with the law? Can we ignore it? Paul says no. He says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And so, when you come to Jesus Christ, you are not only forgiven of your sins, you're given His righteousness. But, that's what God does for you. He also does something in you. We call this sanctification. He changes you from the inside out. You have new desires. Whereas, before you came to Christ, you may have tried to work your way to God. You may have tried to have enough obedience to recommend yourself to God. Uh, At best, at worst, the Bible says you were replacing God with yourself. But now that you are a Christian... Your whole life has changed. Your desires have changed. You love God and you love His Word. You love to obey Him even though we don't all the time. So let me ask you. First of all, in terms of your boasting, can you understand how it is excluded? Can you understand how it is sinful and detracts from God's glory? Secondly, has your life changed? Is your, Jesus, is your confession and trust in Jesus Christ a transforming trust? Do you love to obey His Word? These are applications for justification by faith. A third application is Christians don't simply Look to your obedience for your standing with God. That's where we get things twisted up a little bit. We have confidence in God when we are obeying Him. We have confidence that our, uh, that our standing before God is good when our obedience is, is, um, is, is um, consistent. But that's to get things backwards. Rather, start each day with a, the, a confession that Jesus Christ is your only righteousness. He's your only hope. He is your full and complete pardon. And then in doing that, 
Go and serve Him boldly. Don't let sin slow you down. Don't let the world slow you down. You'll struggle with all kinds of temptations. You'll give in from time to time. But you are justified in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that can change that. Let's pray together. Father, as we have considered this uh, doctrine of justification by faith, Father, I pray that every person here would not only understand this doctrine, but would take their stand daily in Jesus Christ and remind themselves and preach the Gospel to themselves that they would not uh, get waylaid or distracted by the sin that so easily entangles. Help them to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus because He loves them so much. I pray in His name. Amen.